FantasyFootball.com and the DLF family of podcasts. That's Tommy B. I'm the SFD. This is the Super Flex Super Show. And here we go. One week into the non-point scoring season. And man, there's no shortage of things to talk about, Tommy. So... Uh, anyone who thought that it, that the, that it's the actual off season, this is why we call it the non-point scoring season credit to dynasty outhouse, um, for coining that phrase, but we've got a whole other season that we're working on here. The train does not stop at week 18. Yeah. The mental shift took me a couple days to be honest with you, John, where I was still almost in like a redraft mode. I was thinking about my teams in a very different light than I am today. And that's why I was so glad that you threw out the bat signal and you asked the super friends what was on their minds because they came up with some unbelievably good questions. It's it's crazy how how intelligent the the Superflex Super Show audience is. Like yes. the super friends, it's it's like it's it, that's why the super friends uh, title to me is so important because it's, it's a legitimate differentiator. Like people just think differently. Uh, the people who listen to this podcast, and I'm not saying that I don't even know that it's necessarily because of us. I don't think it's anything about what we say. I think this is just the place that people come uh, when they already think differently. This is the podcast to, to listen to, to think differently. You know, uh, I like I just kind of think they're gravitated towards it. But yeah, because we ended up with some great questions. We always do very, uh, very intelligent questions from a very intelligent group. Yeah. And I mean, I think we should probably just jump into it because there's so much to talk about. So why don't you read off the first question, John, and we'll just get into it. Let's do it. So uh, let's start with our friend Billy. Uh, he start. He said, "I started out slow with uh, while leaning on the heavy running back build this year. Should we be building out teams for Week One differently than later in the year?" Mm-hmm. Um, which That's I a- think is 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 really interesting. Yeah, let, let me get your thoughts real quick first. Well, it's a tough one. I was gonna I was gonna throw it back to you, John. I was oh, okay. wondering, <laughs> did you build a lot of teams this way? I imagine you you probably had at least a few. What was your experience with a running back heavy build? Um, I mean, it's it's always my preference. And I do think that you kind of have to do it throughout the season. You have to maintain it, you know, and, and we talked about this. Like, I think that you can kind of um, relax your, your positional boundaries a little bit throughout the season because there are going to be times where, you know, all of a sudden, you know, maybe some wide receivers are hurt or, uh, maybe we're just hit really hard with buys and we need the ability to find some streamers without, um, you know, without drop dropping some of the guys that we had. So we kind of have to relax a little bit on the, the wide receiver minimalist build just a little bit, you know, and typically what that means is you're taking away from the running back position, um, to kind of supplement the wide receiver position. But so it's okay to do that, but generally speaking for me it's not about um do i change my roster build throughout the season it's more about which players am i looking for at different points in the season especially a running back so you know while i think that most like this is this is 
kind of the to me this is like the number one flaw uh in the just kind of the the like the typical like stereotypical way that people play fantasy football is they build for week one kind of like billy's saying here everybody builds for week one they get that part right that's good that's great what they don't do though is continue to build uh, knowing full well that the season is going to continue to kind of unfold and kind of evolve. They're not, their roster isn't evolving along with it. So I don't think there's anything wrong with building for week one. I think that you should. And I think, it, you know, that's a big part of where I end up going uh, running back fairly early because people are, you know, we're, we're looking at the guys in those early rounds, whether it's a, you know, a redraft, um, you know, snake draft or a, or a startup either way, we're, you know, early rounds, we're kind of looking at the guys, you know, Brees Hall, Bijan Robinson, Jonathan Taylor. The big thing with those guys is they're good enough that they're going to start for their NFL teams. And so, uh, we know that they're going to be on the field week one. What we also, what we should know, what we all know intuitively, um, but not everybody acts on it is that at some point throughout the season, those guys are going to miss some time. Most likely uh, even Christian McCaffrey missed a little bit of time this year, running back one overall missed a, you know, a game or two. Like it, it, it happens um, at some point you just don't know when, but the key is, all right. So week one, I won because I had this, strong group of running backs. Now let me start planning for life after those guys, because at some point I'm not going to have them. And the easiest way to do that is, you know, to maintain that running back heavy roster build throughout the season. Uh, just make sure that you're turning, that you're churning through those names and making sure that you're going to find the guys that are going to hit at the, throughout the different phases of the season um, rather than just expecting, you know, the guy that you drafted for week one to be there for you in week 17. Totally, totally. I think that's all really good advice. I also think that the first four weeks of the season are tangibly different from the rest of the fantasy season because we yeah. don't have bye weeks, right? And so exiting training camp, one thing I'm going to do a little bit differently is I'm going to keep an eye on running backs who are maybe on the pup or who have a hamstring pull. And I'm going to focus on the number two option in that backfield. And so I'm thinking of a player like Nick Chubb, wherever he lands, or if there's a Keaton Mitchell, a Ramondre Stevenson, players who ended up on IR this season, um, moving into the 2024 week one start sit decision. I want to have a piece of whatever backfield they're in because I know that sometimes players are slower to come back, right? And if I need to scaffold the position, if I need to start two running backs, maybe I just need to fo focus on the first four weeks and understand that my roster construction is going to take me a lot of the rest of the way because I am diligent on the waiver wire. And I think the super friends are as well, specifically at the running back position. We just need to figure out the first couple weeks and let the rest of it kind of take care of itself. But I agree, starting with some momentum can be key. I did this a little bit 
um, in the 2023 season where I started off slow in a few of my leagues because I was a little overconfident that injuries would occur earlier than I thought they would. And so I was struggling a bit at the RB2 position. And maybe I need to look at a Zeke Elliott or a James Conner or one of these players that is very low valued who can maybe just get me 11 points for the first couple weeks. Yeah, that's that's also a way to do it. Kind of the zero RB approach, essentially. I mean, you know, kind of the the running back dead zone that they like to talk about. Yeah. Um, in, in, you know, there are always ways to do that. And kind of the hack is to find the guys who catch passes, right? Like, mm. um, and, and, you know, w- when you talk about James Conner, that's, that's kind of a, a great example of that. Um, you know, even like, if, even if it's kind of a dual threat type of backfield, get the guy who catches, who's, who's the better receiver out of the backfield. So, you know, kind of, it, it almost creates arbitrage in those, those, ambiguous backfields you know can like uh, seattle is kind of a good example of this because kenneth walker is going to go much earlier in drafts but zach charbonnet is the guy who catches passes so he kind of creates an opportunity for you um because he's still startable he's still going to get you something until kenneth walker gets injured which he has in each of his first two seasons so makes it even easier to presuppose that happens. Um, And then all of a sudden, Zach Charbonnet is not just getting you, you know, not just taking advantage of your points per reception in your league, not just getting you kind of that baseline scoring by catching the football, but now all of a sudden he's got all the upside in the world. I think a lot of the moves that I make in the offseason are picking up rookie running backs drafted in like the fifth through the seventh round, undrafted guys, free guys, and hoping that they find a role, a Jaleel McLaughlin type situation. This is apparently not a great draft for that. And so I want to ask you, John, what are you doing knowing that we don't need to balance rosters right now? We don't need to make start sit decisions because it's January and we have nine months to really figure this thing out. But how are you approaching the running back position right now um, with an eye toward the regular season, are you going to be looking at more veteran running backs? Are you going to be business as usual in a potentially weak running back class? Um, so one thing I am going to, one assumption that I always like to make is that the rookie running back class is going to be better than people think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that typically ends up happening, um, even if even if the value never actually hits, you know, people did not see it coming with Devin Achan. People did not feel like, uh, it, you know, Zach Charbonnet was ever going to be able to overcome Kenneth Walker. Uh, people really didn't think that Roshan Johnson was ever going to be startable. And every single one of those guys was not only startable at different points in the season, just like any of the other veterans. They won you. They won you weeks when they were startable, you know? So, um, so I'm, I'm kind of hanging on to draft picks in the, like the late mid to late second and beyond knowing full well that people are going to let some running backs fall to me. Um, and that those running backs are going to be more usable than people believe 
just based on what they're being told about, you know, scouting reports of this, this rookie class. So that's kind of one of the things I want to do is, is uh, get some more bites at the apple of this rookie class um, without, you know, paying up to get into the first round. I don't think you need to be in the first round. Uh, I, and then beyond that, it's it, it, like in terms of veterans, it kind of doesn't matter too much to me as far as the age. It's more about, uh, you know, it's, it, it's more about opportunity. Um, and it's more about, uh, you know, kind of public opinion, I guess, you know, do, are, are people on to the possibility here that this person, that, you know, that this player might be gone? Um, you know, you brought up Nick Chubb earlier. First of all, does he come back at all after a pretty gruesome injury? And if he does come back, how long does that take? And if he does come back uh, in a reasonable amount of time, is he necessarily back in Cleveland? Like there are a lot of ifs there and people are just, are, are, are just kind of already assuming that the answer to all three of those are yes. And they're kind of treating Jerome Ford as if he's is as if Nick Chubb is just kind of just walks right back into this and picks up where he left off. And so, you know, I'm kind of looking for guys like that. I, you know, and, and, and I think you can do that at all levels of a, of a dynasty startup. Uh, you know, I think they're, kind of less extreme examples of that but you know Zamir White Isaiah Spiller we kind of talked about those guys last week but those are players too that you know that have a a a very clear path to being the starter for their team and if it's not week one honestly that's kind of even better because if like if they're not on course to start week one first of all again we need those players those running backs throughout the season not just in week one um in fact the later the season goes the more valuable it becomes to have a healthy running back who's getting a a workhorse type of of workload uh but they're also going to be cheaper because everybody else is fixated on week one what's it going to look like in week one if we're looking at okay what's it going to look like by week eight then we're going to end up with some guys. We're going to get some guys significantly cheaper who are going to uh, help us win um, the more important games in the season. This feels incredibly undervalued and underreported. It feels exactly like what people try to do with draft picks where you buy them far away from when the decision actually has to be made in April and you assume an accrual of value. You're doing the same thing with actual running backs, which is typically an incredibly devalued thing until the production actually comes up. So it seems like you're you're waiting for the future production and really cashing checks when it's most important, when it's week right. eight and you actually need the wins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that always that like I said, it's it's the biggest flaw in all of fantasy football to me. Um and it's it's just because, like honestly, who cares if you win week one? You, who cares if you lose? You could lose the first four weeks of the season, five weeks of the season before everything comes together, and you still have plenty of time to number one get to the playoffs and number two make a run. So, like 
like I, I I almost don't want to win week one. Like I won't quite go that far, but like there's there's a part of me, Tommy, that just feels like if this is going to come early, that means it's probably not going to come late and vice versa. And I want it late. I want the production at the end of the season when we're playing for money and we're playing one and done. Yeah. I don't care about week one. Two things on that. So one, to, to answer the question or to close out the question a little bit, it seems like you want to be patient in week one with these running back heavy builds. And you want to have the knowledge and perseverance that this is not a final exam. This is a work in progress. This is something that if you lose in week one, if you lose in week two, if the injuries aren't coming to your backup running backs or your backups that you think are going to be growing into better roles, like that's okay. This is not um, set in stone quite yet in week one. Let's, let's build, let's continue to persevere and not push towards folding up the tents and saying, well, I guess this isn't my year. I guess I'm not going to be the contender that I thought I was because these damn running backs didn't hit. They will eventually. Um, But I want to ask you, how are you getting into some of these running backs? How actionably are you getting into some of these running backs in the off season? I think uh, wide receivers is a great opportunity to move off of that because that's kind of another flaw in the consensus logic is the wide receivers are still just kind of the, the game change. And, and it's, it's becoming less about the wide receivers. It's becoming less that, you know, Jamar chase and Justin Jefferson and CD lamb and Amon Ross St. Brown, like those guys create such an unfair advantage that you have to have them. Um, people, people still kind of hold that belief, but what's making it even more potent for them is, the way the running back position continues to struggle as a whole, you know? And so you, we're, we're just kind of getting deeper into this overvalue of wide receivers. And I think that there's a great opportunity to take advantage of that by trading away wide receiver depth and getting a, getting back running back depth. And you know what? Like, I think that you can even get back, like, like, I think that you can send, uh, you know, a Brandon Ayuk for, uh, you know, a downgrade at wide receiver. And again, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, do a little bit of storytelling. Like Hollywood Brown is super undervalued right now, just because of the way his season ended one in, you know, when he was dealing with injuries, uh, that same heel, I believe that got him last year. Um, but you know, we, we did see a little bit of a resurrection of that Arizona offense towards the end of the season. Um, I mean, they, they beat the Philadelphia Eagles. (laughs) It was, uh, you know, Kyler Murray really kind of turned that offense around. Um, Trey McBride was his top option at tight end. We, so we know that a healthy wide receiver in that offense healthy number one wide receiver. It doesn't even have to be number one. Like you can also apply this to Michael Wilson right now. I think Um, it's just a Hollywood Brown is a little bit more, a little bit safer. Uh, But, you know, I think that you, you can make that downgrade at wide receiver and get back some running back depth to go along with it. I think that like a, a Hollywood Brown plus 
Demir White for Brandon Ayuk. I think that like market value, I'm I'm thinking that I'm still uh, it's still a little bit low. My return for Brandon Ayuk is probably is still is still a little bit low. So like you can probably even get a draft pick thrown in there, and that's crazy to me. <laughs> that's like that's the type of thing that I'll do all day. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a a savvy move. One thought I had as you were talking is at the tight end or quarterback position specifically, mm-hmm. whichever one I'm stronger at, I wonder if consolidating a little bit more into those positions would be helpful. Because if you can build yourself an edge where you can trade away legitimately good players at one position of strength, everyone has to deal with you, but you get to deal with everyone. And so if you're able to do that in January and February, you can sort of create your own market. And then you can start to dole those assets back out in July and August when people start really thinking about their lineups and they see a hole at tight end. It's like, all right, I got to go to the guy with four good tight ends, I guess. And you have enough people who do that with you and you can start to chase some pretty good values. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. Those, I mean, we talked about that last week too. I th- those, um, was it last week or two weeks? Either way, we talked about this, how those are those two positions in particular, they're higher leverage, you know, stronger gravitational pull, however you want to say it. Um, it's a lot easier to trade them, even even though people still uh, really kind of put wide receivers up on a pedestal. It's still it just kind of subconsciously, they're still going to make it harder for you to uh, to trade uh, for a tight end yeah. um, if that's a position of weakness for you. Um, or, and quarterback for sure. Like those, those are still going to be harder to leverage. It's so tough though, because I'm in orphan season myself. I, I think I adopted nine over the past couple of weeks and I see a lot of wide receivers on these potential orphans and everybody has an abundance of wide receivers. It's so tough to arbitrage in the real markets right now, at least in, in the leagues that I'm in. And so I'm just trying to find different opportunities. I found a lot of folks are interested in backup quarterbacks right now, um, which is interesting to me because I I do think that they're interesting, but I think they're interesting in October uh, more so than today. And so I'm looking to liquidate them for, you know, some of the RB 50 types who, you know, you can get a spot start out of the same way you can a quarterback. It feels like the market has shifted a little bit toward the backup quarterbacks this year. Yeah. It, it, man, the quarterback is going to be a weird one for us. Um, this entire non-point scoring season, I think. Um, and, you know, so we we started some new uh, Superflex ADP mock drafts. I know yours got off to a slow start, so we're not super far into it. Um, one of the other mock drafts, though, I went QBX, mm-hmm. and I had to go five straight quarterbacks. First five picks were all quarterbacks. That's what I had to do in order to get guys that I'm like, okay, I'm pretty confident that this guy's going to be a starter next year. And that's not something I want to do. That's not something that I would advise anyone to do. Um, And I think that we're going to find better ways to go about this when we're 
talking about getting to QBX, but for the moment, just know that the the quarterback position is so foggy at the mm-hmm. moment that like it's really hard to come up with names uh, that that you feel confident about for 2024 and obviously much harder to even find names that you feel good about and confident in beyond 2024. Yeah. Like we're almost down to single digits when it comes to that, because a lot of people are, are, you know, in the second and third round are kind of looking at Matthew Stafford, uh, you know, uh, Jared Goff kind of looking at those type of guys as you know quarterback twos in some cases quarterback one if they didn't take them early you know uh, they're they're uh like people people man people love to shit on bryce young right now but when you're in a startup and it's the third round and you don't have a quarterback yet you're thrilled to see bryce young still sitting there <laughs> um will levis kind of the same thing but you know like uh, Ryan Tannehill is another is an example of someone who like people just just don't even want to consider him right now, even though there's a good start a good chance he starts somewhere uh, yeah. in 2024. Uh, but people don't even want to think about him, and so they're they're like, okay, so I'm willing to go quarterback early, so I don't have to uh, get stuck in a position where I'm drafting Ryan Tannehill to be a starter for me. Um, and you know, it, it creates some opportunities, but man, it makes a player pool look strange. <laughs> totally. I mean, right now we're not looking at necessarily the rookie picks either. When we're setting ADP, I'm interested what happens with the top five rookie picks uh, mm-hmm. once we start including them, because I think it will flesh out the quarterback position a little bit more in optionality, maybe not in points scored, but I think it's going to provide a lot more flexibility as we move further into the non-point scoring season. But we're one question in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Halfway into the episode. We made it <laughs> and we could have kept going. I mean, we're not even talking about Billy's question anymore. <laughs> Sorry, Billy. <laughs> we just you know, went off on our own thing. And I was about to start talking about the rookie class and talking about Michael Penix. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just like man like each of these questions is just its own episode if, yeah. we, if we let it uh, but again these are great questions and it, it leads to some great conversation uh next one is from our friend jason and uh he just says what's a strategy you didn't use last year that you will use this year mm-hmm. um i've got one that i talked to you about a few weeks ago I think I'm being too rigid in my roster construction, especially as I expand my portfolio to, you know, 30, 40 leagues. The tendency is towards efficiency, toward rigidity, toward building edges across a number of leagues. And I think that's worthwhile. Mm -hmm. But right now I am so super strict with my wide receiver roster ship specifically. I have like 140 wide receivers across 27 or 28 leagues right now. That is too few, I think. I think I'm being a little bit ridiculous in how I build my teams. I think it's going to create problems for me. I've streamed the position before. I don't I don't really want to. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to allocate 10% of all of my rosters to what I'm calling the joker position, where I can take 
any player I want, regardless of position, that I feel has upside, whether that's point scoring upside or value gain upside, whatever. I feel good about this player, a DeMario Douglas type. And I am going to remove 10% of the roster construction structure um, from my rigid spreadsheets and just say, like, these are players that I'm into. These are players that I have, you know, reasons to believe in, and I want to be able to buy into them. And so I think that that's going to be really fun for me because in the past I've, I've missed out on a Will Levis, who's a fun player to have right now. I, I wish I had more Will Levis, um, but I don't because I didn't allow myself to. And I think it's going to be an interesting experience. I may bring that number down next year, but I'm going to, um, yeah, just give myself a little bit more flexibility in my roster construction. What about you, John? Uh, I'm, I, I want to keep talking about yours for a second. Cause I'm kind of curious yeah. what that looks like, you know, does that, uh, or, so are you, are you looking for, uh, just more, more names just kind of in general? Um, does it necessarily need to be an increase in head count at wide receiver, um, on a, vi- on various rosters, or is it more like, all right, like, um, you know, this guy's on 20% of my rosters. Let's bring that down more to like 15 and then bring in, you know, 5% of a different guy. Like, like, or is it some combination of that? Yeah. I think that going position by position is kind of important. Um, at quarterback, I only buy first round picks, uh, NFL first round picks. And I'm pretty strict about having folks who have done it before, um, and really done it twice. And so that's a pretty narrow pool of probably what, like 10 quarterbacks, eight quarterbacks who have done yeah. it multiple times. Like I am not digging deep into that pool. Um, those waters are pretty well unfished for me. And so I think it's going to lead to more QB rostership at running back. Um, it's really been just about having the number two option in a lot of backfields, but I think I can expand to the number three option a little bit more or practice mm. squad guys. Like a generic Prince is somebody that I personally think is a good running back. He's on the Kansas City Chiefs, practice squad, undrafted guy. Never really got much of an opportunity, but I never really rostered him much, even though I believed in him because he had a bad profile. It didn't manifest in anything, but I would have liked to have more of him. At wide receiver, like you you and I both believe this, have as few as possible, right? Well, I want to take more shots because I was right on Pop Douglas And I want to chase that feeling a little bit. Part of playing fantasy football is having fun and digging through the data and figuring out like, hey, this guy has a growing opportunity. I I think he might be something. I just want to play with that more. Like I I typically only roster first and second round wide receivers. What about third round wide receivers? We're seeing more depth at the position. Why not do a little bit more digging into the third round and see if I can find some more guys. And at tight end, like, I don't know, Noah Fant, let's say. He's somebody that I believe in from a talent perspective. He has draft capital, but he hasn't fitted my roster construction because I only allow myself two in most leagues, regardless of whether or not it's tight end premium. And so, like, I've missed out on some Noah Fants this offseason. I may need to allocate a few percentage points to Noah Fant as my portfolio grows. Okay. All right. I like that. Um, but so like a, a wide receiver, for instance, it's not necessarily that you're 
like I said, it's not that you're adding headcount. It's more just that you're div diversifying the names a little more. Yeah, I have tried to have the humility to realize that I'm a really bad talent evaluator, right? And so just get players that have done it before at the wide receiver position. However, that's not where value gain comes in. And yes, we do have to play the value game to some degree in fantasy football. And so I just, I want to fish in those waters a little bit more. I want to, I want to practice at it. I want to grow as a fantasy analyst and as a dynasty player. Yeah. So some strategies, uh, man, like it kind of runs a gamut for me. Like they're kind of some, some small tweaks, uh, some stuff that we've already kind of even talked about even like the, you know, the, the fact I'm going to spend the next few months focused on running back. Um, even though we've been told for years not to, uh, that's, that's kind of one of them. Um, you know, I, like I, the portfolio strategy, I, it, there's a lot that appeals to me about that. Uh, and it's particularly kind of in season. Um, like it's, it, it gets a little difficult to, uh, to run waivers on, you know, double digit leagues. Like, I think I got it down to like 15 leagues this year, um, which is about the lowest I've ever had it. And it's still, it's hard to keep up on waivers. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, especially when you're kind of thinking about, um, you know, you're, you're thinking about like, what are the strengths and weaknesses of this particular team? Uh, you know, kind of something that we meant to talk about in season and just kind of didn't get a great opportunity to do it, but kind of cascading moves, you know, um, like if, like who, if I, if I pick up this guy, then, um, does it make more sense to pick up this guy next or this guy next, you know, kind of stuff like that. Like trying to put that much thought into it gets really freaking difficult. We can really just kind of simplify this by saying, uh, you know, we're just trying to, um, we're just trying to add value everywhere. Um, you know, that's that's kind of a way to do it that uh, that is appealing to me, partly just because, like when it when it comes to waivers, I'm kind of lazy. Like I'll, I've got all the analysis for you, but as far as me executing it, in in the Super Friends saw this. If they were it, the ones who are in the Dynasty Warriors uh, Extreme Legends leagues with me, like the names that I, that we're giving out on uh, um, in the standard operating procedures, like I just I I I'm just late to the to the party on those players. Like all the uh, all of our super friends who are listening to that episode, they go and pick them up before me, and I'm just like. I, I just don't end up with any of them. So like, I need a way to simplify waivers and maybe that's something that we can talk about throughout the non-point scoring season as well. But um, you know, just kind of intuitively, I think that that's one of them. Um, and then, you know, kind of, like I said, the, just some minor tweaks in some spots. It's not, not like a full blown strategy or anything. It's just kind of something that I, want to at least experiment with and, uh, you know, kind of see if there's some validity to this or not. This is something I've got to shout out my friend, Jake. We talk about, we've been talking about this in DM since last non-point scoring season. Um, not making trades in the startup. And it sucks because 
it's a it's a part of the game. It's fun. It's fun to make trades. Uh, and 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 I'm not saying never make trades. I'm just saying during the startup, I just don't think that people are good enough at it. And I think that it puts you at too much of a disadvantage, regardless of how good the the, the value feels. How much of a how much it feels like you upgraded in value, whether it's short term or long term, it very rarely ends up working out that way. Yep. You know, I like I think you're better off just making your, you know, rather than uh you know, rather than moving out of the fifth round into the sixth round and adding like a future second round pick to do that, I think you're better off just making the pick. Um, and that's something like this. It's a thesis at this point. I want to test this. Um, and Jake did test it and he didn't make any moves in the startup and he absolutely dominated year one of his league. So like anecdotally, we're off to a good start on that one, but I, I kind of want to see it for myself as well and see, um, you know, this is, this is just kind of one of those shower thoughts for me. I'm like, wait, do I have to like, is that necessarily the right thing to do? It feels like people end up blowing those trades more often than not. Like both yeah. people involved in the trade, they blow it. <laughs> they do. This is, you've tapped into something here, John. This is why I don't do startups. You've, you've tapped in exactly why <laughs> I don't do that. Because That's not supposed to be the takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> the inequities are so strong. The opportunities to spin a league on its axis with just bizarre trades or trades that turn out to be lopsided nine months from now, I can't stand that. When I join a league with an orphan, the deck is already settled. The cards are on the table. Like I know where everybody stands and then I can start to manipulate, you know, all of the different players in the game. When you're in a startup, it is just madness right out the gate, right? Whoever has the one-on-one puts it on the block in almost every single league and they're asking for the world for it, right? And it's from there and until the last pick of the draft or until everybody gets bored, like there are these trades that happen where it's like, if I had been online at that point, I would have done this, right? Or I would have given you more, or, you know, I wanted to trade back, or you just sniped my guy. It's just this huge, like unsettling experience for me. And I get the excitement of it. Like, of course it's exciting, but there's a lot more gambling in a startup. And it's the trading component that really messes leagues up right from the get-go. I, I don't like that. I, I personally would prefer that trading is locked for the first round or two because there's just there's too much asked and too much too much given in the first few rounds. Yeah. I mean I don't I don't want to police that out just because like it does create an opportunity for those of us who have some patience. Yeah. And some willpower, um, you know, because these other the other people who are they're having the time of their life screwing up their roster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I and I want that. Like the the yeah. the fewer teams that I have to worry about, the more I feel like, yeah, I'm I'm building a roster here that's gonna be a contender, um, partly on its own merit and partly because half of this league is just a dumpster fire because yeah. they can't stop making trades. Which, like, have fun, y'all. I'm not saying it shouldn't happen. I'm just saying I don't do it anymore because of these reasons. But holding yeah. firm is being very different in a startup. Not trading is a really unconventional strategy and an interesting one. 
Yeah, and it feels it, it. It's one that I think, like I said, I I want to test this. I want to, um, I want to see if this is actually the case. Like this is just kind of my, it's just kind of my stream of conscious right at the moment. It's just kind of like you know what I kind of think that I've been messing up my rosters by making trades uh, in this startup. You know, um, but I want to make sure because I don't want to just start telling people, yeah, do not trade in a startup (laughs) (laughs) because I'm because I know what I'm asking and it's a big ask. So I like we need to make sure that this is uh, that this is the right analysis. So like as of now, like I said, it's just a thesis. Um, I, I don't have a, a dissertation on this at the moment, just a, just the thesis. So, um, give me a little bit of time, but like, keep that in the back of your mind. I kind of think that, uh, that I, like, I think there's something to this. I think that making trades in a startup, um, is, is negative EV for everyone. This, this blasphemy occurs every single month in the form of a DLF ADP mock draft or several of them, right? And so I'll just ask you, John, like, how do you feel in the ADP mocks? Do you feel like you've got a good handle on your team each time you do this? Do you feel like the teams turn out the way that you would like them to? Do you wish you could have a little more flexibility in the ADP mocks? Um, no, they, they typically end up the way I'd like them to. Um, so those are a little bit tough because we do as few as three every single month. Um, this year, this, this month we've got seven of them running. And so, uh, like, you know, the, the portfolio part of my brain does kind of kick in a little bit and say, all right, in Mach one, like I took this quarterback at, at this spot, or I took this player at this spot. So in Mach three, I'm going to take, uh, you know, this other player, um, in the same spot, you know, and I mean, it starts immediately. Like there are some places where I got the second overall pick and first of all, first overall was Josh Allen. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, for good ADP, this needs to be Pat Mahomes. So I take Pat Mahomes. But then the next time I randomly end up at 102 and Josh Allen is off the board. I'm like, I mean, the right move is to take Pat Mahomes, but I already did that. I'm already seeing how that one turns out. So let's go Jalen Hurts here. Um, you know, so like there's there there's a lot of that that goes on. But in terms of roster build, and just keeping in mind, you know, one of my absolute tent poles is just kind of, uh, you know, is, is what we talked about last week. The names don't really matter. Um, it's just a matter of getting the mix right. And, um, you know, keeping that in mind, yeah, like the, the names can kind of vary quite a bit. Uh, and sometimes I end up with you know, a, a stronger position group in one mock draft than another and kind of recognize that. But overall, like I end up with the roster build that I want. Um, anytime I want to go QBX, I can. And I don't always do it because I, I do have ADP to think about a little bit. But, um, you know, just to c- get the reps on on that, I still do that. And I can go QBX if I want to. Um, I I end up with you know four wide receivers that i feel pretty good about no matter when i start taking them 
what I will say is I almost never feel as good about my wide receivers if I take one in the first two rounds. Mm. Um, but I mean, other people would love it. Uh, you know, I, I always end up with a, a pretty good group of running backs. There's always a, a way to build, um, you know, a, a tight end room with two guys, one with some upside, one with a floor, like, um, yeah, like I, I never feel like I just absolutely blew it, you know? Um, and the reality is once we get to the season, some of these teams are going to be God awful, but <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh, like they, they look just fine. The strategy is executed just fine from there. It's just kind of a matter of there, you know, that, that small amount of luck that's involved that can change absolutely everything. Uh, it's just going to come down to that. Mm-hmm. I think super friends, if you're interested in this sticking and picking approach, the DLF ADP mock drafts are a really great place to get those reps in. And like you said, John, we've got seven of them going right now. Yep. We can certainly accommodate a few other folks because it's not always seven. It, I've seen it, you know, down to like four or five, a lot of months. And mm-hmm. so if this is something that you want to help contribute to, let us know. Um, we can certainly get you in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the more mock drafts we have, uh, and the more drafters we have, the better the ADP is going to be. I've always maintained that, uh, you know, especially if we've got, you know, strong super flex players, um, involved in the mocks and continuing to come back and mock draft with us more and more, uh, you know, that, that ADP just gets stronger and the entire industry gets stronger in its fan in its super flex analysis as a result. So yeah, like I, I, I just love to, to grow the network of uh, mock drafters and uh, increase the number of mock drafts. Um, yeah, all right. So here's a question from Josh. He says, uh, does the mid to late first round, um, look to be in it. So this is a 2024 rookie class type of question. Does the mid to late first look to be a sell amidst rookie fever for proven players again this year, or will we see a 2021 depth that suggests it may be better to make this pick? Do you want to take this one first? Sure. Um, you know, so I think that uh, this is going to be, so, you know, take this with a grain of salt because uh, this is in no way indicative of what uh, either of us are going to say, you know, in terms of analysis. Um, but this is going to be a pretty strong wide receiver class, I think. And in the mid to late first, I think that you're going to have an opportunity to draft some wide receivers who, you know, typically would have gone off the board in, you know, the top the top five of most rookie classes. Um, all that said, I don't think they should. So, you know, like, so if you're rebuilding um, and you're going to try and build around, um, you know, young wide receivers, like making those picks is probably the way to go. But in most cases, for me, it's going to be, it, it's going to be moved back because I'm not interested in rookie wide receivers. Um, I think you're still going to get most of them relatively cheap next year. Um, 
you know, like it, and, and take some shots later at wide receiver. You know, that's where we found Tank Dell and Puka Nakua, like, uh, you know, try and tap into that. But I don't think that you have to get, you know, the, the, uh, like, uh, well, Marvin Harrison Jr. is not going to be available that late in the first round, but you know, the, the, Roma Dunzes and, and Xavier Worthies and you know th- those guys are probably going to be available to you. I don't think that you have to get them in the rookie draft. So it's it's a little bit of uh it's not a, a it's a pretty soft, pretty ambiguous answer um, to a pretty direct question. So I apologize. <laughs> I apologize to you on that, Josh. But yeah, like it it, it kind of depends. Yeah, it makes sense. Here, here's my approach. How many NFL first round drafted wide receivers are there is the first question that we need answered for me to really be somewhat intelligent on this because there aren't a lot of good running backs. I would imagine the late first is potentially the first running back that we'll see um, in a super flex rookie draft. So we are talking about wide receivers. If I have the 106 or the 107, I feel pretty similarly today as if I had the 111. Um, I'm assuming there are going to be five wide receivers drafted in the first round. Um, and if there are, I'm going to treat them very similarly, aside from Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, and so I'm willing to stick and pick if I have to. Um, but the having to component is the interesting part for me. It's, it's what am I expecting to get out of my 109? If I draft a receiver, I have to accept a 50% chance that this is a bust. And I'm going to get Quentin Johnston, um, which anybody who drafted him this year, they're suffering right now, right? They're stuck with kind of a dead asset that maybe you can get a 207 for if you're lucky um, coming into this offseason, this non-point scoring season. And so you have to take that, that risk. And if it does hit, you really are making a bet for 2025, most likely, we have been blessed with some really great wide receivers over the past few years. But as this happens, it becomes more difficult to be an impactful wide receiver. The more talented the cast of characters is, the more difficult it is to be different. You know, everyone, if everyone is good, nobody is good. And so if you draft a wide receiver at 109 and they're putting up 14 points per game, what have you really done with your roster? You have at best held serve at the wide receiver two or three position. And so just be clear in in what your expectations are at this point. Like you're making a bet that you're going to have more value than point production if you stick and pick. However, the market really likes wide receivers. And if you're comfortable in that space, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, um, you know, I guess a big part of it is really just kind of framing the, the first round in terms of, uh, you know, first of all, how many quarterbacks are going to go? Um, how many wide receivers are going to go? And like you said, f- like five is kind of the the minimum to me because, uh, I mean, it's going to be a better, deeper, more talented overall class than last year's. And last year we had four of them. So, uh, you know, I I still think Jackson Smith and Najigba is is a better prospect than anybody coming out, and that includes Marvin Harrison. And I know that people hate that, um, but it there it is. Uh, but 
beyond that, you know, we felt great about Jordan Addison because of the landing spot, but man, there are, there are at least five guys who are overall more talented than Jordan Addison. So yeah, like, you know, you just kind of, just kind of forecast the makeup of the first round and say, uh, you know, how, you know, like where, where am I likely going to be? Like, who are the players I'm likely going to be looking at with that pick? And how important are they for my roster build? Yep. And there's you know, no chance that you're going to take Marvin Harrison Jr. with the top two picks in a super flex rookie draft, is there? I no, I wouldn't. I right now people are planning on it. People are even thinking about taking him first overall. I don't know how you do that in a year when you've got Caleb Williams. Um, I think Drake May. It probably holds down that number two spot pretty easily. And I think he gets drafted highly enough that to warrant that. I kind of think Jaden Daniels ends up uh, in the top three as well. And he might even Anthony Richardson, um, Drake may a little bit and people take him because of the, the athletic, the athleticism and the, the overall rushing upside. So, but yeah, I, like, I think that it's going to pretty solidly be, uh, the, the top three picks are and should be quarterbacks. Uh, beyond that, I mean, I man, I'm really looking for any running back to even make a case for top five. Like if we can get a Jameer Gibbs type of guy, you know, maybe it's Travion Henderson, um, which I don't know that he's even declared, come to think of it but assuming he does uh you know maybe he's that guy who ends up with you know a, a strong enough um scouting season and uh you know maybe a good enough landing spot um possibly even a little bit of draft capital that was unexpected um that we can get him into the conversation i really want to believe that there are going to be some running backs um, worth a top five pick. Mm -hmm. This feels like the year. So the question was, if we have a mid to late first, are we willing to stick and pick with a weaker running back class? This feels like the year to shop that pick for a non-aged veteran running back, right? Like the Kenneth Walker types. I wonder where he would fit into a rookie draft this year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of an argument against what I just said about a, <laughs> a running back stepping up because, yeah, kind of the, the best thing for whoever has rookie pick 105 is a class with, you know, with four very distinct uh, quarterbacks and then, like, you you move on to wide receiver because there's no other options. Like that's kind of the best case scenario because man, you get a ton of value out of that um, with very little, uh, very little risk that you're taking on by trading back. Mm -hmm. Are there any running backs that you would be looking for in, in the middle of January trading, let's say like the 109, 110, 111. Are there any running backs you'd be hunting for right now? In that range, probably not. I think that, uh, like at that point, I would just I, I would package a pick with something else, maybe even mm -hmm. next year's first, and just go all the way up to you know Bijan Robinson. 
I think like, I, I don't know that there's enough kind of in the middle in between the guys that I want. I want the, the top end guys who people are, are sleeping on for various reasons. Maybe B. John Robinson is going to bounce back a little bit here now that Arthur Smith has been fired. But you know, if not, if there's a belief that, uh, he just is, is just kind of a, a one-on-one bust, then, you know, I want in on that. I want in on Brees Hall. Um, I want in on Jameer Gibbs. I want in on Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams might actually be a, be pretty close to that, though. He might be somewhere in that value range. I'd yeah. definitely check on that. Um, but, I, yeah, I want those high-end guys, and then I want the super cheap guys, the Zamir Whites and Isaiah Spillers, um, you know, those type of guys. There's kind of not a... Yeah. My most rostered running back of consequence is um, Bijan, but I want it to be Jonathan Taylor coming into this offseason. I feel like this is the offseason of Jonathan Taylor. Like, please, super friends, buy him. This is like a great rebound candidate. And the quarterback's coming back under center. It's not the Minshew show anymore. Anthony Richardson's going to be back. I think this is going to be pretty special with him. If I'm going to plan a flag at running back, it's not necessarily on Bijan or Gibbs or even CMC. It's it's Jonathan Taylor this year for me. I like that too. Yeah, that's a good one. And I I like I think that he's still as much as I think Bijan Robinson is undervalued. I think Jonathan Taylor is even worse because because of age. So that's a good one. The one say the one thing I'm going to say though about trading rookie picks to do it as much as I want to get started early on running backs. I I think that you need this rookie class to get fleshed out a little bit because right now, like I said, people are thinking about Marvin Harrison in the top two. Yep. And I think that uh I I think that cooler heads are going to kind of prevail once we have the quarterback position um solidified a little bit. But also, you know, people are going to get to know some of the other names at wide receivers at wide receiver. And I think that, um, you know, all of a sudden 105, 106 has a lot more uh, trade ammo to it, a lot more trade power. And I think that it's going to get you a lot closer to the players that you're looking for. And I think the same thing with 109, you know, I kind of think that by then people have gotten to know Xavier Worthy and, and, um, you know, I don't know that Malik neighbors makes it that far, but if he does, that's the type of guy. And, and people are going to be saying, all right, so do I want the rookie pick that represents Malik neighbors or do I want the rookie pick or, or, or do I just want Devin HN? And at that point, like they're, I think they're going to say neighbors just because of the way people feel about wide receivers, um, the, just the desire to have something new and shiny. Like there's, there are a lot of ways for you to take advantage of this. It just takes a little bit of patience and, um, you know, give people the opportunity to, uh, to misvalue that, that rookie pick, um, before you trade it to them. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, I think we, I think we answered that one. Should we move yeah. on to the next question? Yeah. Dynasty onion says, what are the most interesting things, you know, that are not really related to fantasy football, but can be directly applied to fantasy football? And how do you apply them? I love this so That's much. That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, 
<laughs> One of the most valuable things to me is learning how sharp players who play differently than me think. Yeah. First of all, Onion, um, he has a great follow. What, what's his handle, John? Dynasty Onion. Dynasty. Everyone should follow the Dynasty Onion because this individual is incredibly smart and thoughtful and will call you out when you're wrong, um, which they did with me the other day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, all right. So I don't know if I'm an interesting guy. I'm going to be totally honest with you, Super Friends. I don't think I'm that interesting. Um, but things <laughs> that I pull from when I am thinking about Dynasty, um, it's, it's two facets of my life. I'm an endurance athlete. And so I run 100-mile races. I cycle um, like I'm doing Paris Brest Paris in its next iteration, which is a 700 mile bicycle ride from one town in Paris, or excuse me, one town in France to the coast and back. Um, and so there are a lot of themes that I really carry um, from endurance sports into fantasy football. And a lot of it has to do with accepting where you're at learning to allocate assets effectively, managing your energy and your emotional bandwidth and understanding that what is will not be. If it's good, it will pass. If it's bad, it will pass. Um, and I think that's really served me pretty well in the fantasy space as a dynasty manager. Um, and it's led to a lot more consistent results than some of my league mates who are more, more prone to the highs and the lows, the emotional swings, the impulses to give up, um, the inability to maybe grind waivers. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that that is something unconventional um, to the, the fantasy football experience. But when I saw this question, John, I was really interested to hear your answer. Uh, so, yeah, and I've got a few of them. Um, I, I, yeah, you know, first of all, uh, we both draw from psychology. Yeah. Um, and uh, that, you know, that's what made the episodes with Dr. Kaylin Fang, you know, so, so interesting and so poignant for me because, um, that's a, that's to me, that's a big part of the game. Um, so, you know, it doesn't totally satisfy the, the piece of, you know, not related to fantasy football, because I do think the psychology is very related, but, uh, but that, yeah, that's part of it for me. That's one of them. Um, you know, I, I like to draw on my experiences uh, playing poker. Um, I use a lot of, uh, you know, kind of the the some concepts from poker I use in fantasy football quite a bit. And, uh, you know, kind of the big one, I talked about this a couple off seasons ago. But when it comes to like lineup setting, um, you know, and, and this kind of turned into, you know, look at projections, think about, you know, what do I need in order to win this? Um, you know, it all comes down to kind of a, like that combinatrix and what are the odds of this winning? What are the odds of this, this, ha this, you know, us getting this outcome from this combination of, uh, you know, whatever it is, points, point scoring players or, you know, cards in your hand, what <laughs> either way, you know, we're, we're kind of thinking about the same thing, like what has to happen for this to, to hit. And kind of what are the probabilities of that happening? And, you know, there are times where you where you fold because that particular combination of cards uh, doesn't give you much of an opportunity to do anything. 
you know? And so you're looking for, you know, just muck it and look for a new hand. Um, we kind of do that with players a little bit as well. At least we should, you know? Um, so that's one that I, that I draw on quite a bit. Uh, I'm not a doctor and I've had, uh, like I've had arguments with people on, uh, Twitter about, uh, injury stuff. Um, and they say, oh, I, you know, I'm not going to listen to you because you're not a doctor. I'm a, but I'm a human being with a human body and, uh, I've played sports. Um, you know, I've done physical activities. I've done manual labor, all of that stuff. I know what it feels like to be injured. I know what it takes to come back from those injuries. So I kind of draw on that a little bit, like, you know, just kind of empathize a little bit with the injury to kind of think about, all right. So yeah. Uh, and, and this is kind of where that, the, the analysis comes from on running back a, coming off an ACL, you know, thinking about, okay, like, yeah, the doctors, uh, you know, after six months, eight months, whatever, the doctors will tell me, yeah, you're, you're safe. You're fine to go play, but what's it going to take for me to get it in my mind that it's okay for me to get hit in that knee? You know, like that's, that's something like people really like to dehumanize these players, but like, there's actually like, if you, if you put yourself in their position on some of this stuff, there's actually a huge advantage to be gained in terms of playing this game. Uh, and then the big thing though, number one, and I've talked about this a lot, so I won't go into specifics, but, um, as a business owner, uh, you know, and, and somebody who's launched two businesses at this point. Um, I, so I really kind of nerd out on, uh, you know, on, on, uh, things like strategic planning, um, uh, you know, building a business model, um, just kind of a lot of the theory behind startups, um, and not talking about startup drafts, like starting up a company, whether it's, you know, regardless of what is product, service, tech, whatever. Um, you know, and, and I use those concepts a lot as well. So um, those, yeah, like on on paper, it has absolutely new, nothing to do, you know, launching a, like I mentor entre entrepreneurs and, um, you know, like, for instance, I uh, I mentored, um, you know, a guy who was starting a T-shirt company. And on paper, that has zero to do with fantasy football. But there were a ton of concepts that carried over from one to the other, that translated from one to the other. And so my, my, a lot of my analysis has always started with that piece of it. None of that can be captured on a spreadsheet either, which is so great. <laughs> <laughs> we get so lost in numbers in this game because it's a numbers-based game, right? But it's a numbers-based game about an oblong ball and a bunch of humans running around and smashing into each other. And like, this is why I love the question. It's because you can draw from whatever expertise you have. Um, I've spoken in the past about being an energy manager and relying on physics and renewable energy systems and power plants and all these different things, those have nothing to do with fantasy football. I'm guessing you, the listener, is really skilled at whatever your chosen profession is or whatever your chosen hobbies are that 
aren't fantasy football. You can find all sorts of strings to pull that you can draw right into fantasy because everything is sort of related in this way. Like the psychology component you can use, yes, with analyzing players coming back from injury, your league mates, yourself, the seasonality, the fact that Tyreek Hill's house burned down last week. Like you can apply these concepts in so many different ways. And so, yes, the fantasy analysts that you're hearing, we draw from our own human experience, but I would ask you to draw inward yourself and try to figure out what it is that you're really good at in, in your other life and bring it into fantasy. Man, such a good place to wrap up uh, one of our episodes here, <laughs> but we're going to make this a two-parter. So we're going to be right back with some more questions. Uh, let's, but yeah, let's go ahead and wrap this one up for the week and get right back to it uh, next week. So just real quick, uh, as we wrap this one up, ask you for a quick favor. If you haven't already subscribe to the podcast, however you listen to podcasts, you can also subscribe to the DLF family podcast, mega feed and get access to all the great podcasts from DLF. And once you've subscribed, if you do us a favor and rate and review the super show, it gives us uh, an opportunity to expand our reach, um, involve more people in the conversation. And from there we, we can uh, really drill down to the topics that are the most useful to you, our super friends. You can get at us on X. I hate X, but I'm there as Superflex dude. He does not hate X, and he's very much there, even more than I am. He's at FF Tommy B, um, and criminally underfollowed, by the way. Uh, and we're always happy to talk in DMs, talk publicly if you want to add us, um, share those trade polls, and I'll always, uh, I'll always uh, share them, and I'm sure Tommy will as well. Um, retweet them for you and help you get more votes. I only comment on them if either I'm asked to or if I just completely disagree with the way the vote is going. Um, so uh, if if you're looking for a comment, you've got to ask. But beyond that, like I, I love sharing them and helping you get more votes. So you can trust those results a little bit better. Always happy to do that. Uh, this episode was dedicated in loving memory to James Brancatulis. Thank you to DynastyLeagueFootball.com for the for the platform. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the music. And above all else, thank you for listening. And until next week, stay sexy and super flexy. Yeah,